Welcome in to episode 88 of the Gunprunners podcast. Chase Thornton, Jeremy Law, Lester Mitchell here with you tonight following Alabama's 56-7 to thrashing of the Middle Tennessee State Blue Raiders. Guys, something that we did not see coming. All three of us take the uh, – took, took Middle Tennessee on the plus 39 in our uh, Does Bama Cover segment last week. Um, we'll do that with the Texas game, of course, this week and also the, the bet of the week. Um, but – a lot to go over here, a lot to digest, because this is it's so hard to see exactly what's going on. Because I, I think it's fair to say that nobody expected this type of play from Jalen Milrow. Um, you really can't argue. You can't argue that that wasn't an elite performance. I mean, the the things that he did, standing in the pocket, running when he needed to, delivering the ball downfield. Um, didn't have a ton of pressure on him, really hardly didn't have hardly any pressure at all, but standing in the pocket, making good throws, making good reads, doing what he needed to do to, to run the offense and manage the game. And, um, and then, you know, showcase his athletic ability as well. So we gotta, we gotta jump into that first. Um, the quarterback situation before we're, every week after an Alabama game, we're going to go with instead of good, bad, and ugly like we've done in the past, we're going to go with simply what we liked, what we didn't like, and we'll uh, name t- uh, you know two or three things per person. We'll go over that in a minute. But quarterback play, Jalen Milrow, it's his team. Um, you know, Ty Butner played okay. Ty Simpson only threw one pass. Um, all three quarterbacks scored a rushing touchdown, which is pretty freaking crazy. But uh, Alabama quarterbacks accounted for four rushing touchdowns on on the night, which is pretty fun to watch, pretty cool to see. But um, analyzing Jalen Milrow's play, Lester, just blanket. I mean, hey, what do you think about it? <clears throat> yeah, I I think it's great, man. Um, all things considered, now we do have to consider who the opponent was, but. All things considered, I think execution was really, really good. Um, I'll give it probably about a B plus. Um, as far as like commanding the offense, being the leader, um, making plays. Um, he didn't make every throw, but some throws that he did make, you were like, wow. Like at least when he made those throws, you saw that okay, this guy has that in him. When he made a couple plays Saturday, you saw that. Okay, he can do that. He has that in him. Now, will he complete it every time or at a high rate? We don't know, but we do know that he does have that ability within him. Um, I love it. I love the poise that he had. Um, seems like a guy who, despite all the chatter and everything going on in the offseason, he locked that out, and when the lights came on, the guy was ready to play. Like I said, you know, got to factor in the opponent, but based on everything I saw, I love it. And um, it seems like he's a leader. He's the captain of this team. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how he progresses um, going forward. You know, he's not perfect right now. I remember, you know, I vividly remember that right back, uh, talking about Blake Sims against that West Virginia game in Atlanta, um, the kickoff of the season a couple years ago. Um, I'm going to say the same thing about Jalen Milrow here. It's the first game, and he is going to progress and get better from here on out. I believe that. When I watched Milrow on Saturday night live and then rewatched it Saturday night after the game, um, I was I was looking for <clears throat> two things. I wanted to see him push the ball down the field. What what were the percentages of him throwing the ball that traveled 
over 10 yards in the air and how he performed under pressure. Uh, Middle Tennessee did not get a lot of pressure on him. Um, as far as, you know, a couple of times he, he got sat a couple of times and then he, he took off for a scramble or two. But I'm talking about throwing the ball while under pressure, something that Bryce Young was so great at. I think our offensive line did a, a, a solid job of pass pro. They're not perfect. They weren't perfect in the run game. They need to gel more. I understand that. But that's that was the things that I was looking for from Jalen Milrow because I don't I, I never saw a problem with him hitting the short passes. Um and so I wanted to see how he could push the ball down the field and how much we would actually throw it downfield. And he was over for balls travel 10 yards in the air or more, he was three out of six. If you give me 50% on ball, and of course, you know, three of them were 25 plus yards um, in the air. So if you give me three out of six while pushing the ball downfield, I'm going to take that all day, every day. He was only one out of two under pressure. Like I said, he wasn't pressured a ton. He only, you know, I only saw two passes where, you know, defense was in his grill and, um, and he turned the ball loose. So one out of two there. So really not a big, you know, not a lot of data in, in that category, but throwing the ball downfield, three out of six, you're going to give me 50%. He hit, you know, all of his, what, what is he, 13 out of 18 or something like that? So he was, what, 10 out of 12 on passes thrown 10 yards or less? And so if you're going to give me 10 out of 12, buddy, I'm going to take that all day long. And so an elite performance by Jalen Milrow, I'm not sitting here saying that he's going to haul off and win the Heisman. I'm not saying that he's going to have the same performance against Texas. We'll get into that a little bit later. But this game, um, he was elite, and it's really hard to argue that. J-Law, how do you analyze uh, – Milrose performance in this in this first game against Middle Tennessee State. Yeah, I mean, let all the naysayers know as they talked about in the press conference today. Uh, I thought this was what you would see with any of the quarterbacks that rolled out for Alabama. Now, I, my pick was that Middle Tennessee State was going to score more on our defense. We'll talk a little bit about that later. It wasn't necessarily that Alabama wouldn't score thirty nine points. It was Middle Tennessee might score 17-ish is the reason why I didn't pick Bama to cover. But there was not a lot of pressure in this game to me, I don't think. Once Milrow won the job, which we all knew that he won the job after our scrimmage podcast, the last uh, scrimmage that people could go to, we kind of knew Milrow won the job. So this was this is not the game where I'm going to gauge Jalen Milrow or any of the other quarterbacks. But inside of this game, this is what I figured – that an Alabama quarterback would be able to do. Hit the wide receivers that have, you know, four or five steps on a DB behind them. Um, like I told you guys a few weeks ago, Jalen Milrow is going to make some plays that make you say, dang, dude, that was a badass play. Wow, what a run. Like picking up the football off a horrible snap from Seth McLaughlin, nothing is there, and he turns it into a touchdown. Those are the plays that Jalen Milrow is going to make, and he's going to make those types of plays all year where you say, wow, what a play. But he's also going to make those plays where he underthrows Ja'Cory Brooks by seven yards, and against Texas, that's going to be an interception. He's going to skip a ball on a seven-yard out route. We saw that one time. I mean, so you're going to have those ups and downs from a guy that's not a pure passer, but we still haven't seen Jalen Milrow's legs in a design play we saw the one little zone read where he took it around the edge and scored a touchdown that's what i'm most excited to see 
that's a part of this offense that we knew that we were not going to see against Middle Tennessee State. They put a couple things on film to keep Texas guessing. But there's the the extreme upside of Jalen Milrow is not his arm. If his arm has improved, which it looks like it has, and hats off to Tommy Reese coming in and working with him and then helping Jalen Milrow improve because I don't think any quarterback improved under Bill O'Brien. I think Bryce Young was just that good. Jalen Milrow stayed exactly where he was. And Ty Simpson looks like he really didn't grow last year as a freshman at all. So, but Jalen Milrow's legs is what we're going to be super excited to see. So they kind of took his legs out of this game against Middle Tennessee State. They wanted Jalen to get comfortable with his arm, and he did exactly that. He was elite versus Middle Tennessee State. And I think that's something that we should be excited about, but I'm also going to not, you know, hold my opinion to see what when we start playing better competition. But we do, like Lester said, have to keep competition in mind when it comes to and the pressure, like Middle Tennessee State never put any pressure, not not pressure from the pocket, but their offense put no pressure on our our offense to have to go do anything in the ball game. And I think that's gonna change this week and then in two weeks when we play Ole Miss. Lester starting out some things that you liked. I mean, of course, the list could be long here. It was, you know, the cleanest game. I think it was like the the fewest penalties that Alabama's had in the last 50 games or something like that. It was just absurd how how disciplined that they were on both sides of the ball and special teams. Um, so, of course, the list could be long here, but just kind of narrow it down to two or three things. What were some of the things that you liked the most in this opener against Middle Tennessee? What I liked the most – is when when Middle Tennessee State University, when they were on offense and they snapped the ball, nobody on defense was looking at the sideline like a jackass, waiting for the play call to get in, waiting to figure out what to do, who to cover. There was none of that. Zero. That is so freaking – it hell, shit, it's impressive to me. After seeing the defense and seeing what's happened with us under Pete the past couple of years, whatever – Nuh-uh. I love that. I love it. Number two, the lack of penalties. Alabama has you know, been known to be one of the most penalized teams in college football. Nope. Only, what, two the entire game? This is that discipline that Kevin Steele and everybody in company has been talking about all freaking offseason long since he was hired. And number three, blitzes, baby. How many times have we send a DB? How many times did Kevin Steele send a DB? How many times did our best defensive lineman drop back in coverage? None. None of that idiotic, dumb, what, nah, uh uh, out the door. That is gone. And I'm so happy to see that. The three most impressive things I saw came from the defense, and I love it. And I'm, I'm going to say this right now. If this team stays disciplined, there will not be a more talented team in the country than Alabama, right? The only way this team will lose is if they are undisciplined because if this team is disciplined, they already are extremely talented. They are not going to beat themselves. So Bama's a more talented team, more organized. Bama should win every damn football game. They're not going to be – if they lose, it's because Bama beat themselves. Yeah, that's a good list right there. And, of course – uh, for mine, you know, I think Jalen Milrow's performance should be on everybody's list. I'm sure it is. Uh, but I just had to harp on it again. Just absolutely elite. Uh, 
And Alabama's had big wins over group of five teams before. But this guy on his first start, after what we saw last year, uh, it's, it's just a, a tremendous performance by him. Couldn't be prouder. Um, we can hope we can get a repeat performance this week against Texas. Another one for me is the offensive play calling. Tommy Reese is another huge question mark coming in. And once again, it's one game against a group of five team. But I did not expect to hang a 56 spot on the scoreboard. I was thinking Alabama would hover around that 42, 49 at, at most. I was thinking anywhere from 41 to 49. Um, and everything I saw from him, you know, the play calling, the design runs <clears throat> with the running back, the design runs with the quarterback, the pop pass, uh, the deep balls. It's everything worked. And, you know, dad kept – telling me in the stands, he was like, you know, there's a, a two-man route or a one-man route. And I think we were talking about it too. You know, Bill O'Brien ran, ran those two-man, one-man routes. Well, whenever you're 75% past, those aren't as effective. But Tommy Reese, everybody knows we're going to try to get back to running the football. Whenever you run the ball effectively, now those one-man and two-man routes become effective because the defense is playing on their toes. Uh, you know, relative to playing on their heels whenever you're 70, 75% pass because they don't respect the play action. So I thought he had a really good plan coming in. Like I said, it is just one week, but I think he spread it, you know, he spread the ball out really well. He spread the formations out really well. There was not a lot of tight bunch sets. There were some double tight end sets, but even the receivers were split out farther and it covered the whole field. And, uh, and, so really, really impressed with with Tommy Reese's play calling in this game, and then the uh, the downhill defense. I know this is a a side to side air raid attack, get the ball out quick type of offense, but it was just extremely nice to see tackles being made at or behind the line of scrimmage, and you know even on passing plays. I thought the run defense was really good, and um, you know a lot of those quick hit screens out of the stack formations. It's really difficult to defend. Tennessee does it a ton. I thought that we were able to tackle really well in space and uh, the speed of the defense and the secondary is, uh, is something that, that I was really impressed with, you know, Caleb Downs being, you know, his first game as a true freshman thought he played really well. JLo, what were some things that you liked in this game? So, yeah, y'all, I know people that listen know I harped on three and outs or five and outs with Bill O'Brien. I know it was just Middle Tennessee, but even go back to last year against Utah State, the amount of three and outs that Alabama had with Bryce Young at quarterback is inexcusable. I mean, you're talking about what we just watched that LSU Florida State game last night, and LSU has no depth. They have nobody to rotate in and out of the ball game. Because of what I think like nine three and outs in that ball game last year, LSU is able to hang with a team that has superior talent like Alabama. And that's why other teams were able to hang around with Alabama because three and out. So Tommy Reese, what do we say that he wants to do? Dude, we continually lived in third and five, third and six, third and seven under Bill O'Brien. Tommy Reese yesterday lived in third and one, third and two, and really third and two and a half at the most, especially if he got a good carry on first or second down. I mean, there was a couple drives there where we almost punted three times in a row, I think, and if it weren't for a horse collar, we were going to have a third and 10 on, like, the, the other 40. Maybe you punt there, maybe you don't. But I thought Tommy Reese did a good job of getting a, a, a first-year starting quarterback 
in a lot of easy third down situations where all of the pressure wasn't on him, which was not the case last year when Bill O'Brien put Jalen Milrow in against Texas A&M and didn't change any of his offense. So that's something I really, really liked was just, hey, man, let's make it easy on this guy. And you want to do the same thing against Texas. You want to get in third and three or closer and see what you can do. And we know that Saban, he is a proponent of going for it on fourth and one or shorter. I mean, the year that we won the Natty with Sark, we went for that so many times. So if you get yourself in third and manageable, you're going to win a lot of ball games this year with Jalen Milrow at quarterback. I really, really like Deontay Lawson. It's been a it's been since 2016 that I felt like we had a middle linebacker that was shot out of a cannon on every single play. I guess going back to Ruben and Rashawn probably because I mean, Rashawn Evans was pretty freaking good too. It's, it's hard to sleep on him, but. Since then, man, it's just been kind of putrid. I know you have some NFL guys in there, but that's not really the standard for Alabama. The standard for Alabama is linebacker you. So when you go from Reuben Foster to some some tweener guys, Henry Totola was supposed to be a dog, but, uh, you know, we just had some sleepy years right there at linebacker. It doesn't look like that's the case um, with Deontay Lawson, Trez Marshall beside him, even um, Jahad Campbell practiced today. So really pleased with the overall defense. And let's give a shout-out. Caleb Downs led the team in tackles. Also really disrupted that side-to-side offense for Middle Tennessee. Like, he set the edge and forced some more stuff inside than letting him get around the corner. So really excited about all three of those things. And I think that kind of bodes well when you're going up against a Texas offense uh, this week. Flipping the script. Um, a lot shorter lists here, Lester, I'm sure. But uh, what were some things that you didn't like in this game? Of course, you know, no game is perfect. So – uh what were some things in your list that you did not like during the game? Yeah, man. Um, on the goal line, get under center and run the damn ball in. Good. Good point. Yep. Bingo. Let's do that. All right. Yeah. Um, stagnant on offense. Look a little stagnant. A little, little sluggish there in what, about the second quarter. Um, the entire second quarter actually. Um, looked a little sluggish, but uh. The offensive line, get better, man. Whether that's, you know, taking Dalcourt out and put Terrence Ferguson in, which we saw happen today at practice. Um, and I know it's early. I know it's early, and I know offensive lines jail over time and get better over time. But, you know, some of the things that happened Saturday were just kind of inexcusable. So, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Get under center, under the damn goal line. Um Let's try to eliminate a stagnant offense, especially against, you know, MTSU. And uh, let's get the best five offensive linemen in there. Lester, if you changed your offensive line after one game, don't you have to question why the hell he was there in the first place? If that does yep, Exactly. And Fer, yep. goes, Fer goes to left guard, Booker back to right guard. Don't you have to question what the hell was going on there to begin with? This is another Saban seniority. Yep. you got to prove it. You know, don't let the young guy come in and take your lunch or, you know, of course, one of those situations again. I don't know if y'all noticed, but Terrence Ferguson was the only second, only other offensive lineman that took a picture on the field with the other five guys that started the game. I mean, dude, it's pretty freaking obvious that Dalcor doesn't have it. Yeah. And so it kind of makes it makes you wonder what Saban saw all fall camp to slot Darian Dalcourt in that starting role. I guess, you know. I just – I mean, I understand he's a senior, but, you know, you got to play the best player. you preached that for 17 years. Play the best damn player. That goes for all positions. But uh, some things I didn't like, <clears throat> this will kind of be my my only rant of the podcast. 
get the starters off the special teams. Malachi Moore, when did he get hurt? On a punt return. Like, guys, look, you got Malachi Moore, Caleb Downs, I saw on special teams, Jalen Key played special teams, Kool-Aid, and Isaiah Bond. I mean, Alabama has a plethora of talent on that campus up there. You can slide in. Look, I mean, let me rattle off some names. Christian Story, Antonio Kite, Jalen Hill, Jaron Hamilton, uh, Shaz Preston, Keanu Cott, or Keanu Cott, Earl Little, Jake Pope, Jalil Hurley, Des Ricks, Richard Young, Tony Mitchell, Keon Keeley. The list goes on and on and on. I can name – I was going down the roster. I found 25 to 30 players, including linemen that you can put on a punt return team, guys like Monkel Goodwine, Edgerick Hill, Jordan Renaud, Curtis Perry, Isaiah Hastings, some guys that aren't getting reps with the, with the first two units. And you have no argument – to back up a reasoning for four or five starters to be on special teams. I mean, we were going down the list earlier. What did we lose? You lost Jalen Waddell um, against Tennessee in the COVID year. You lost Eddie Jackson on special teams. Malachi Moore is now banged up. Uh, Jamison Williams had a targeting on a punt over in Auburn in 2021. That screwed us for the entire game because he was our only offense. Um, so, I just don't understand the point. You've got – You've got guys out there, you got hella athletes that would be begging for a chance to get on the field, and you would think would be hungry to make a special teams play, to make a to make an impact on special teams. So I just I can't understand the reasoning for putting the starters on special teams. I understand he's always done it, but that just drives me up the freaking wall because number one, I mean, for stamina purposes, I mean, if, if you're on a punt team and a punt return team, that's maybe what. 10 to 15 extra sprints you're having to do during the game that could be unnecessary when you could be over there getting coaching, getting water, getting in front of the fan or whatever on the sidelines. So it just, it drives me crazy to continue to see these starters on special teams. And now Malachi, if he's hurt and he can't play in this game, I still think he plays. I just don't think he practices this week, but I mean, that could be a big loss. You know, that's your, that's your senior, that's your leader in the secondary, a guy that you've got to have. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the running back rotation. It was Roydell and Jace early. <clears throat> um, Jam comes in, gives up a sack when he didn't pick up a blitz very well. Then he kind of got benched for another quarter or so. But it seemed like the first half, you only saw two running backs. I would like to see a legit – I thought Justice Haynes ran the ball extremely well. I thought Richard Young ran the ball well. But I would love to see a legit rotation of three or four guys, you know, starting from the first quarter on. And uh, so I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the running back rotation. Hopefully that'll play itself out as the year goes on because I, I don't think one is head over heels above everybody else. You know, of course, Jason Roydell, your seniors, but I don't think they're any better than, uh, than Jam Miller and Justice Haynes. So once again, don't worry about seniority, play all of them, keep them fresh, especially if you're going to be doing a ton of, a ton of running. Um, and then just, I mean, that that's basically it, you know, I had written down the the competition wording going back to Saban. I've harped on that, you know, during fall camp when there was no competition. I think it was going to take a a Tua like practice effort to overthrow Milrow as a starting quarterback. So I would have been much more at ease if he came out and said, you know, Milrow's our guy until somebody else takes over. And I know that's petty, um, but the way this thing played out, it seemed like to me that neither of the three quarterbacks were performing at a high level in practice. And so we just kind of had to just go with Milrow by default. But, you know, after the game, it could have easily been a, a situation of 
of, you know, you have three very good quarterbacks and they were just going against the best defense in the country. And that's why they weren't performing. But uh, Jill, what were some things that you disliked in this game? Yeah, I mean, two things on offensive line. I mean, Lester hit it. Darian Talcourt is just not going to give the offensive line the physicality it needs. It doesn't matter if you put him beside a freshman in Caden Broder. It doesn't matter if you put him beside a first, probably a top 15 draft pick in J.C. Latham. That's not going to be able to solve the Darian Dalcourt issue. The only thing that's going to solve the Darian Dalcourt issue is another guy coming in the game. Terrence Ferguson is a guy people have been talking about for two years now. Um, he was like in that mix potentially last year, uh, never got on the field. But, I mean, he was even taking first-team reps a lot at practice. So it looks, like Dar- it looks at least like Ferguson. And, and the killer is if – if you're going to put Ferguson back at left guard to put Booker at right guard so you feel really, really good about one side of your offensive line, that tells me you already think Terrence Ferguson is better than Darian Dalcourt. So if you feel comfortable putting Ferguson beside the true freshman and moving Booker back over to where he needs to be, to me that tells me you feel more comfortable with Terrence Ferguson no matter what at that position. Plus, you know, the Terrence Ferguson is going to struggle a little bit in pass pro, and they've said that about Caden Proctor too, but – those guys are, when it comes to running the football left, you feel really good about running behind Proctor and Ferguson to me. Well, uh, so I, I, you know, he, you, you kind of, you wasted a whole game of reps for T. Yep. That's another thing. Didn't make any sense. And that's what, that's, that to me is what was frustrating when I saw the practice video where they um, tweeted that's where Ferguson was doing. It's like, okay, I get it. This guy has been here forever. He came back. He could have transferred, but. He's not one of the best five guys, clearly. There, there is no reason for Jace McClellan to get stood up at the one and have to bounce a, an inside give outside of the hashes to score against Middle Tennessee when you are running. I mean, you got nine guys on the line of scrimmage outside, and, and the two guys that aren't are Milrow and Jace. So, like, you, you ought to be able to punch that in without him bouncing it out. So I didn't really like the physicality there. Also, Seth McLaughlin. Dude, has he ever had a bad snap? I've never seen him snap the ball bad, and he did it four or five times in this game. He even skipped one to Buckner, who threw a dart over the middle to Nyblack, which also something I like. Run the tight end between the safety and the linebacker. We've been screaming it for three years. I don't care if it's I don't care if it's a white guy, Hell Hinges, or Amari Nyblack. If you run a tight end there, they will catch the ball and they cannot be covered. Thank you, Tommy Reese. And he's got a five-star weapon in Nye Black to work with. And um, he's not to say he's better than Michael Mayer or whatever, but looked pretty good, did Amari Nye Black in this game. And Tommy Reese has got to be loving the fact that he's got a stud tight end. But Seth McLaughlin, oh, my goodness, just snap the ball to the quarterback. You're a center. It's what you do. You haven't had a bad snap. You Seth McLaughlin came in the Iron Bowl and – pretty much won us the game with the way that he blocked at center. I think that was the biggest change in the whole game. Didn't screw up at all. Comes out against Middle Tennessee State to start the year, skips five or six back. Those are literally the only two things outside of Malachi getting hurt on special teams that I did not, that I just absolutely did not like in this game. Yeah, I love that play where uh, Nyblack's by himself in the end zone, too. That was uh, that was, uh, that, that was pretty cool to see. <laughs> <laughs> another one where he came off the right side and ended up catching it in the left corner. So, yeah, really good use of the tight ends. That's something that Tommy Reese can do. And, and yeah, like J-Law said, I think he's got a, a hell of a weapon out there in the Marina Black, and uh, it's going to be really fun to watch. Lester, before we move on to Texas, 
I think, you know, we had to harp on. We heard all camp, dude. Receivers can't catch. Receivers suck. And our source that went to the scrimmage told us that I think our starters are going to be okay. And I labeled Isaiah Bond as my breakout player. He had a huge game. Burton made a couple of big catches. Um, even the one from Butner where he had to go up and get it. I think it was like a third and four, and it was just a little simple out route. But Butner threw it high. Burton elevated and went up and got it. Showed great hands there. Um, Nile Black making tough contested catches over the middle. Zero drops for the receivers. Um, Prentice had a couple of catches, but, you know, your big ones, Burton, Vaughn, talk about the receivers and what you saw from them. And and uh, just goes to show that you can't really believe everything you hear coming out of, off of message boards in, in fall camp. Yeah, man, I guess that group of that position group proved everybody wrong, despite what everyone else saw leading up to the first game of the year. Um, but if if that's going to be how they operate, I love it. Look, the first game, no matter who the opponent is, that that builds your confidence and it builds your confidence all around from the offensive line you know, to the quarterback to the other receivers. And look, they made some pretty difficult catches out there. You know, if Milro knows, you know, you, of course you want to be perfect, but if he knows that, you know, he's not going to be perfect every time, you know, he now trusts that wide receiver. Hey, that guy's a dog. He's going to go get the damn football. You know, your other receivers see that, you know, catching the ball similar to drops is kind of infectious. You know what I mean? When one guy drops it, you know, is in the next guy's mind. Oh, crap. I, if it comes my way, I hope I don't drop it. You know what I mean? So I love it. I think that, you know, zero drops, hopefully that carries on through the rest of the year. Yeah, that's a great thing and builds momentum for everyone. Yeah, especially when you have Milro back there, who's not the the most prolific passer. You know, he's he's got to get all the help he can get. Uh, you can't really – you can't have drops. You can't have breakdowns and protection. You can't have a bad run game if Jalen Milro is going to be your quarterback. And I really think the same thing goes for Ty Butner and Ty Simpson. Whoever's back there, Alabama doesn't have an elite quarterback this year. You got an elite game from Jalen Milro, but he's not going to be elite the whole season. So, yeah, I think you have to have that. And that was a big step up from the receivers from what we had heard all fall camp. Jello, what was your impression of uh, the elite receiving core from Holman Wiggins? Boy's been coaching him up, huh? The guy deserves a raise. Guys, I'm not. I here that is one position group that I that I'm not going to say is really good because they ran by Middle Tennessee's DBs. Like, look, they didn't drop a ball, so you know what? Great, you're good. Every every wide receiver group is good for one or two drops a game. Probably they didn't drop any kudos um there were some balls that i thought could have been dropped that they didn't like um the little hard throw over to kobe prentice looked a little high he was able to pull that down um i mean so there was a couple balls where i thought hey they could bounce off their hands they pulled them all down but i'm not buying into whole i need to see these wide receivers get open against somebody other than middle tennessee texas old miss um and you know one thing that is going to help our receivers though is the fact that you can't, even if we go five wide, you can't just unload the box as a defense. You're going to have to keep a defender in there somewhere to look at the quarterback. Now, yeah, Bryce would scramble. He would take off. But Jalen Milrow, he's got that. I'm not saying he's Cam Newton. I'm not saying anything of that. But he doesn't feel like a quarterback that's going to get banged up when he goes and gets hit. Like, remember us thinking, why can't Nick Marshall get hurt? He's just going to run it a billion times, and he's not going to get banged up. 
Same thing with Jalen Milrow. So, like, they have to commit to trying to stop him from scrambling, and that's only going to help our wide receivers a little more. But, yeah, they had a really good game. Proud of them. Yeah, and, and you know, harping on that on that statement about Milrow running is you kind of you kind of see uh, it happen in, uh, <clears throat> in, the, in the game against Middle Tennessee. Our biggest runs came off of quarterback scrambles. Um, there's a couple of design runs, but, you know, I think his two longest runs were the drop snap and then the one where he got pressured and he – and he just ran at the middle for about 20 yards and ran over that little bitty safety. Um, yeah, we'd love to see a slide there. But like you said, he's so big and so strong. Um, he, it's going to be harder to hurt him, but it's not impossible. I mean, this guy doesn't hadn't gotten hit since last year. So um, he is built like a running back, but <clears throat> that doesn't mean he's invincible. So you would like to see a slide there. Um, but, guys, is there anything else that you want to talk about regarding the Middle Tennessee State game? We're about to move on to Texas – um, I guess the things we didn't talk about, defensive line, um, maybe the linebackers. Is there anything else you guys want to hit on before we go to the Texas game? Hey, three phases of the game, offense, defense, defense, and special teams. I think the special teams had a pretty damn near perfect day. I think the punter had, what, four punts of over 50 yards or stuff like that. I mean, if he keeps that up, I mean, that's that's a weapon. So, you know, Regardless of how often or whatever we use that guy, that's a weapon. We know that he come in and bomb it. Yeah, uh, I, I was. I told Dad walking out of the stadium. I said I've never been more excited to rewatch a game. Uh, you know, it's it's been a long time since 2020. Uh, I, the last two years, rewatching these games because uh, I want trying to watch everyone at least twice. And uh, there's some things going on. I mean, you know, I like I like to break it down and, and try to see it. Um, you know, try 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 to break it down myself and then talk about it on the podcast. But I, I couldn't I couldn't remember the last time I was more excited to 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 watch a game. Um, it's just so clean in all three phases. So <clears throat> unless you hit the nail on the head with that, uh, moving into this Texas matchup, guys. Hey, it's it's big boy football time, and Texas very vanilla against Rice. If you watch that game, they might not run any of those plays against Alabama. You know, a lot of people were talking about how. Texas didn't look that good. Sure, they didn't. But if you don't think Steve Sarkeesian hasn't been game planning for Alabama since about mid-January, then I don't know what to tell you. Um, so, just heading into this game, Alabama, I think, sitting right now is a seven-point favorite on most books out there. So, still some confidence in Alabama. And, I mean, what what does the home team get? Like, maybe six points or something like that on these betting lines? That's That's kind of how it goes. So if it was a neutral site, you know, this might be a Bama might be a one point favorite in this game. But Jayla, how do you how do you see this game playing out? Um, you know, let's start with let's start with Sarkeesian's offense. Quinn Ewers attacking Kevin Steele's defense. Let's assume Malachi Moore and Jalen Key both play. How how much how much did they affect what Quinn Ewers and Steve Sarkeesian try to do on offense? How do you think Sark attacks this Alabama defense? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, so there's so many different variables for Alabama. Like, they don't have, like, a supreme question market corner. I mean, dude, last year they came out and they threw it at Terry on for three drives until Quinn Ewers got hurt. I mean, that was their offense. I mean, they, yeah, they, they ran some misdirection. They kind of got us guessing a few times. They're going to run a lot of stuff that they haven't ran. But, 
I mean, so like what what will they try to do? I think Sark has even talked about it in the offseason, dude. They're going to try to run the football to be able to throw. And with Kyle Flood as their offensive line coach, and heck, even when Sark was at USC, I know he had Leonard and some other guys, but he also had some of the best running backs that have played college football um for a very long time. So Sark likes to run the football. Um, but what I do see, I mean, I I I think Sark, knowing that he's going to be in the SEC very soon, knows he's going to have to run the football. I think he has an offensive line that he believes can run the football. But I do think that you know Sark is probably the best. Is he the best offensive game planner in football? I mean, I probably say so. Just just watching what he did at Alabama for two years, not just the year we won the Natty. I mean, dude, we scored forty eight and Jordan Heron lost. I mean, like that, that, and probably could have scored sixty if Mac Jones didn't throw two pick sixes. So I mean, like, yeah, that the he's gonna pull everything out for this game. I don't think, and if he wins this game, yeah, he can go in the Big Twelve and lose a game, and it'll be okay because he's probably he'll be in the college football playoff. So this is a game for Sark. You win this game, you cement your your legacy very early. I mean, you're the guy that beat Alabama when Mac Brown couldn't do it, when he couldn't do it the year before, pulling Texas out of the ashes. I mean, that's the biggest question more. Like, if I knew how Texas was going to attack Alabama, Nick Saban would hire me right now. I think that's why everybody's so scared about this game because they don't know what Sark is going to do. Defensively, dude, we, they're going to line up and they're going to have to react to what Tommy Reese is doing because Tommy Reese, the same way, did not do anything against Middle Tennessee State that is going to be probably something very prevalent in our offense other than some some run plays. So if I knew what Sark was going to do, Saban, I'd be on his staff right now. But I do think that Sark has been game planning to find some mismatches in what he can find on us. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what he pulls out of his hat, especially early. And you mentioned how the game's going to play out. We've seen this. I feel like the same story is playing in my head over and over again. Johnny Manziel, Steven Garcia, like hot quarterback, team gets up on us early. Can we dig ourselves out of a hole? 2014, Nick Marshall, where Alabama has to dig its way out of a hole in the third quarter and, and finally win that iron bowl at home. We've seen this a million times, I feel like, under Nick Saban. Um, so I kind of I kind of see the game going that way, but I do I do like Alabama winning this game. I can see uh I can see this being a, a huge swing game for Texas in their season. You know, I think even last year with Hudson Card, if he if he beats Alabama in a backup role, even with Quinn Ewers out for four or five weeks, I think Texas easily goes ten and two at worst. I think they drop to eight and four, seven and five, something like that. And I see the same thing happening to them this year. I think if they come in and Alabama handles their business and they beat Texas by ten plus, then I can easily see Texas, whether Quinn Ewers is healthy or not, uh having a ceiling of nine and three and having a floor of seven and five. So you come in Dallas to Bryant Denny stadium, you win this game and it springboards your season heading into your conference slate. And I could, yeah, easily see Texas being 11 and one and uh, you know, challenging for a spot in the college football playoff. But what worries me so much about Sark attacking a defense is we've seen it firsthand. Jalen Waddle goes down in 2020 Yes, Alabama had an elite offensive line, elite quarterback play, elite running back. But John Mechie was okay. He was a good receiver. He was nowhere near elite. So it was really Devonta Smith. And how many times – you can't tell me the defense didn't say, hey, don't worry about number six. How many – Devonta Smith made a lot of contested catches. 
at Alabama. But how many times was he just wide ass open? And you literally look at you look at whoever you're watching the game with, and you're like, how in the hell does the defense let him get that wide open? And being able to create plays for elite playmakers, and that's what Sark has with Xavier Worthy on the outside. And the thing that worries me the most is him getting matched up with a Deontay Lawson or uh, Tresman Marshall. I mean, everybody remembers the the, t- the touchdown in the Natty where Devonta Smith somehow got lined up man-to-man with tough Borland, the slow-ass cracker linebacker that Ohio State had, and he just glides right by him. And, you know, they say that tough is, is still still running after Devonta Smith to this day. I mean, he had like 10 yards on him. It was the easiest touchdown of the, of the year, and it came in the national championship game because – Sark did such a great job with with his motions and getting guys into situations to where he could create mismatch problems. So if you're Kevin Steele, you've really gotta really gotta look look for ways to to not let that happen because if you let that happen, you're gonna give up big play touchdowns. And uh, so I look for Alabama to run more zone, maybe man on the outside with Kool Aid and Terry on Arnold, but I look for more zone in the middle of the field. And um, hopefully that's a way to neutralize what Sark wants to do in the passing game. I don't see Texas just lining up, running the ball in Alabama. Um, They might do a lot of sliders, a lot of stuff that Middle Tennessee State tried to do, throwing the ball in the flats, maybe some backdoor screens. They did that to Will Anderson and used his aggressiveness against him last year. Um, So look for that to to happen against Dallas Turner. Um, Oh, sorry, series going off. I'm not talking to you. you know, you look for that with, with Chris Braswell and Dallas Turner. Hopefully they're coached better than they were a year ago. So, yeah, going to be very interesting to see how Sarkeesian plays his matchups um, against Kevin Steele's defense and what Kevin Steele does to to not allow that to happen. Um, Lester, defensively, if you're going – if you're Texas playing against this Alabama offense, playing against Jalen Milrow, Jalen Miro is not pressure. I think he had two passes under pressure, probably pressured a total of five, six times, maybe in the game as a whole through three quarters. If you're the defensive coordinator for Texas, are you are you thinking about maybe spying Milro? Do you want to pressure him? Or do you want to maybe try to confuse him with zone or all of the above? How, how are you going to attack Jalen Milro in this Alabama offense? I think it's going to be a, all of the above, man. They're they're gonna. I think they're gonna do different things till they find something that kind of works. Sometimes it's it's literally going to be a, a pick your poison. Um, you know the running back screwed up. Um, blitz protection. Hey, that's on film. That's gonna get corrected. You know what I mean? The offensive line, you know, wasn't great as good as they could have had a performance last week. That's on film. That's that's going to be corrected. So I think potential weak spots where Texas may attack, um, Alabama has already exposed themselves and surely will be correcting those problems this week in practice. So it's it's truly going to be a pick your poison for for that Texas DC because you know Miro has seen he can throw the ball. Miro has shown very little that he can run the ball, and take off on your ass. So it's going to be a, a picky poison. I think they're going to try to send blitzes from here, there, and everywhere. Um, I think they're going to try to, you know, different stunts or whatever up front. Um, but I think it's just going to be throw shit at the wall and see what sticks because Miro, who's the playmaker, man? Like, 
I don't I don't think that you're going to be able to fully contain him no matter what they do. And let's not remember now. Let's not forget this is still a Big Twelve defense. I don't care what anybody says. So you know, factor that in there too. Um, I think that uh, you know they're going to get pushed around, and I don't think that there's going to be that one thing that completely stops Alabama. Yeah, that would be ideal for Alabama just to be able to control the line of scrimmage with the offense yep. and get that four or five yards of carry and and get into those third and one, third and two, third and three situations if you have to. Um, Jayla, I want your opinion on that as well because I think I think that's a the biggest question mark for Alabama is their offense attacking this Texas defense. If you're the Texas DC, what do you do? Because I I think if if you're not bringing at least six per play. I don't I don't really know how you have a job. I think this team is you're on the road, you have nothing to lose. It's not a conference game. Your your offense can make up for that was a problem with Middle Tennessee State. They were an aggressive type defense, but I don't think they're as aggressive as they as they usually are because they knew early in the game they were going to have a tough time scoring points. So instead of giving up an 80-yard touchdown, let's try to make Jalen Milrow drive the ball on us and stuff like that because we don't have the horses on offense to come back and score quick. I think Texas does. Texas, this offense can make up for big plays given up by the defense. And so I, I don't think they should be scared to be aggressive. How, if you're if you're the Texas DC, how do you approach this Alabama offense? What do you do to try to stop Jalen Milrow and company? Yeah, listen, I really think you give Jalen Milrow as many looks, different looks as possible. I mean, dude, don't you run as many different coverages as possible. You send as many blitzes from exotic places as possible. Um, it's, and I'm not saying Jalen Milrow can't read the defense. So, like, I'm, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying they don't know if he can or not. You do as much as you can to make Jalen Milrow think about what he's got to do so it, it hinders his execution in this game. And look, we don't know, again, like, our wide receivers, if they can win one-on-one matchups, we're going to win this game, especially if Texas is bringing six every play. So if Isaiah Bond, Jermaine Burton, Kobe Prentice, who is lightning fast, Amari Knoblet is going to have a big day. I think he's got to have a really, really good day, him or Dupree, for Alabama to win this game because we know how – like we just watched a game where I think we had a tight end on the field every single play. I mean, like, so – like our tight end is going to have to play very well. Um, but, listen, I think at the end of the day, the run game is going to be Jalen Milrose best friend in this game so if texas can find a way to take away the run put pressure on milrow which is what i just said middle tennessee never was never able to put pressure on milrow the score wasn't going to be close they weren't going to consistently be able to stop the run so they weren't gonna be able to put pressure on milrow if you can put pressure on milrow outside of just getting pressure on the quarterback during the snap if they're off if texas's offense can keep up if they can add a little pressure force Jalen milrow to have to go score I think that's Texas's best chance. So I would not be surprised to see so many different looks. And I also think that when they do that, their defense is gonna it's it's gonna collapse every now and then. And Jalen Milrow is gonna be able to make some big plays with his legs. Yeah, I think the one-on-one matchups are huge on both sides of the ball. You know, your receivers have to win them. If you're Isaiah Bond, uh, Jermaine Burton downfield, <clears throat> and you know Malachi uh, Key. Um, sorry, Terion Arnold and uh, Kool-Aid, you all have to win your one-on-ones downfield as well because you're going to get into those situations. You can't just run cover four all game. You're going to have to cover somebody man-to-man eventually. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, that, that's important on both sides of the ball. Guys, last question before we get into our weekly segment of does Bama cover and our bet of the week. And I guess this will kind of answer my question of if you think Bama's going to cover. Lester, simple question. 
did Alabama do what it needed to do against Middle Tennessee State to give you confidence heading into the Texas game? Simple. Bro, yes. Yeah. Think so. Yes, absolutely. I saw I saw the things that I needed to see. And like I said, I told y'all so many times on the podcast, like I don't care about the score. I care about how things looked, how things performed, how efficient, how smooth they were. And man, I, I was so thoroughly impressed with how organized and coordinated. And like, like I mentioned earlier, the defense isn't scrambling when the ball is snapped. They're ready to look, see what's going on, and freaking pounce on whoever has the ball. So, I mean, by that, I don't care what Stark does, what motions. I have full faith in Kevin Steele that he's going to be prepared for whatever Stark throws at him. On offense, I'm I'm 100% confident that you know, the offense, they're going to move the ball. So simple, simple as that, yes. And look, hey, 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 turnovers on defense, that could have been my number four thing that I love. You got two, two of them. Turnovers, two freaking interceptions. I love that. So I saw what I need to see to give me confidence going into this um, Texas game. Absolutely. Does Alabama cover, Lester? Minus seven. Or do you take Alabama to cover? Minus seven. I had I, I did not assume that would be uh the number would be that high. But mm-hmm. yes, Bama cover. Yep. Covering minus seven. I'll I I'm 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 I'll do it. I'll do it. Bama will cover. All right. Got same same question. Did Alabama do what it needed to do against Middle Tennessee State to give you confidence heading into the Texas game? And does Alabama cover the minus seven? Yeah, I'm going to stick to my guns on this. I'm not going to be confident in this team until I see them do something against a team with a pulse. So I'm going to be consistent. I told, I've told, i been saying that since the second scrimmage. I just take Middle Tennessee with a grain of salt. Now, could the Middle Tennessee game have swayed me the other way to say, holy shit, dude, this team doesn't have it? Absolutely. Of course it could have. If Jalen Milrow went out and had an awful day, if we couldn't run the football at all, if Middle Tennessee found a way to march up and down the field four times and score touchdowns or three touchdowns and a field goal, yeah, I'd be panicking a little bit. So am I in panic mode? No. Am I still worried about this game? Yeah. Do I feel much better about it? Yeah, I probably do because you think about what did we always say about Bill O'Brien? And I'm not even going to talk about the defense because Pete Golding held Texas to 19 points in Texas last year. We can say what we want to, but that's what Pete Golding did. But Bill O'Brien, everything felt hard. Like, it was so NFL. Like, he coached every game like the other team had as good of players as we did. And so it just – it it took the the element of we have more talent than you out of the game. And I think that what we just saw with Tommy Reese is I have a five-star tight end that is 6'5", 230. I'm going to run him down the seam, see if you can stop it. I have a quarterback who is – faster and probably stronger than everybody that's not a defensive lineman on the other team. See if you can stop him. So that's what I really liked about this game for Tommy Reese is that he put his guys in position to make plays. So now going into this Texas game, does Alabama cover? Yeah, Alabama by double digits. 10-point Alabama dub to me. And that's a 30. To me, I don't know how many points they can keep Alabama from scoring if Jalen Milrow has another good game. 
Um, I could see this being a 41-31 type of ball game with an Alabama win. I could also see it being a 37-27 type of ball game, but I do think Alabama wins by at least eight or more. Oh, boy. I agree I'm bought in. I agree with both of y'all. You know, I, Let's I go. Let's go. With what Lester said, it was a it was a clean game, and it was very fun to watch, you know, because last year Alabama can play Helen Keller School for the blind and deaf, and somehow they're going to have six penalties for, you know, 60 yards. And, you know, that was a, an emphasis in the offseason. It came to fruition. I loved watching it. Super clean game. And then I agree with what J-Law said. It was Middle Tennessee State. You have to take the opponent into consideration. Um, so, I, in my preseason predictions, I actually called for Alabama to lose this game. Um, I, They did enough for me to believe that they can win this game now. But they will not cover the seven. I can see Alabama winning this game 35-31. Uh, maybe a 34-28. I can see him winning this game three to six points is what I'm going to – I think Alabama does win. They gave me the – what I saw on Saturday night gave me the confidence for me to believe that Alabama is going to win the football game, but I still don't like that seven. And, you know, it could easily push. I mean, you know, it's going to be a 42-35 game. But how is Jalen Milrow going to respond if he does get down 14 to nothing? What's Saban going to do? We didn't even talk about this. What's Saban going to do if – at halftime, Milrow is eight out of seventeen, and he's got three picks. Does he make a change to Ty Butner? Or does he stay with Milrow? So, there's still a ton of question marks. Just because somebody had a good game does not mean that's going to carry over, especially when the opponent is 15, 20 times better than what you just played. So, I think Alabama does win, but I do not think they cover. Um, moving into the bet of the week, our final segment here. Hey guys, if you're listening last week, J Law. Penn State, minus 20 and a half. Lester, hang on, let me see. I got it written down right here. Lester goes with North Carolina, minus two and a half. I didn't agree with him, but that's the man over there. And then Chase, myself, going with Florida State, plus two and a half, just absolutely beating the dog piss out of LSU in Orlando um, on Sunday night. So, you know, Gunrunners is 3-0 and so far in the bet of the week. Lester, who you got? Man, I am going to go with um trying to find a good one here. You know, who does LSU have this week? Are they playing oh they're playing Grambling? That don't count. That's garbage. Um Wow, let's go hype for this game. Hey, come back to come back to me. Go deal. All right, I'll just go ahead and do mine first. I like Auburn minus six and a half. I know they're going to the West Coast, they're playing a bad cow team. And Auburn is not a physical SEC team, but they're still more physical than a lower-level Pac-12 team. So I'm going Cal. Plus, you know, a lot of distractions over there. Their whole conference is dismembering. So I'm going to go Auburn to go on the West Coast and and beat Cal by seven. Yeah, I'm going to take. Oh. Yeah, I'm going to take a And M minus four. I know they're at Miami. Um, I like AM probably by 10 or more in this game. I think AM obviously has superior talent. Bobby Petrino looked very, very good in his first game calling plays. Again, take the opponent at your own risk that they played New, Me- New Mexico, New Mexico State, one of the two that they played. What's the difference? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I like I like them 
I think they're going to be – I think a and going to be really good. And I picked them second in the West, don't forget. And that looks more and more correct, at least after week one, watching LSU. Ole Miss looked really good too. But I, I like A&M minus four. And if you want another one, look at that Oklahoma game. They're only like a 20-point a favorite. And they scored 100 points last weekend. Yeah, they did. Yeah, no, I like A&M minus four. That's actually a good pick, J-Law. All right, Lester, who you got? I found a juicy one here. Ole Miss versus Tulane in New Orleans. Missed that. I mean, Ole Miss is a seven-point favorite. What if Old Pete strikes again and Tulane covers? Tulane plus seven. So you like Tulane. Okay. Yeah, Pete gave up, what, a 75-yard touchdown first play of the damn game? Yeah, against paying too much damn money to <laughs> – Pete strikes again, baby. All right. We got it. Yeah, I'm going to take over minus six and a half. Lester's got Tulane plus seven. J-Law's got a and minus four. All right, guys, final thoughts before we get out of here. Um, Alabama-Texas game day is going to be there. SEC Network is going to be there. Damn, Dave Portnoy from Barstool Sports and his crew are going to be there. Everybody and their mother is going to be at this Texas game. Uh, if you want to stop by our tent, 83B, um, you know, we'll be there. And uh, we'll be glad to glad to have y'all, glad to come, you know, y'all come see us and hang out with us. Any final thoughts, guys? Yeah, man, this is this is going to be a huge game. Um, look, one thing I've, I've said to mention um, all pot for the past couple of weeks, the rule changes. The ball does not stop. The clock does not stop after first downs now. It continues to move. I think I read somewhere where there's an average of at least 20 less total plays um, being ran in a game average, I guess, so far this year. Um, that helps, you know, if you're Nick Saban, that's something that you love, especially when we want to kill that clock, when you want to choke somebody out, keep running the ball, keep moving the ball downfield at your own pace. Look for that to happen because I don't think Nick wants to go into a shootout with Texas. So look for ball control coming up this week. Do you think teams go faster because of that? I don't know. I haven't seen teams go faster because yeah, of it's it. only week one. <laughs> so, that's, what, that, that's exactly what I thought Lane Kiffin was doing Saturday. Dude, they they got a first down. They, that might have been the fastest I've ever seen a team consistent. They had like a nine-play, 80-yard touchdown drive with a running clock that lasted like a minute and 30 seconds. I, I mean, dude, they, they got up to the line and snapped the ball instantly. So I think I think teams counter to that is to go faster because they want to get their plays in because that's how they've predicated. That's how these guys like Sark outside of being in Alabama and Lane Kiffin, that's how they predicated on winning ball games. Hey, that may be another thing too. Sark may try to go, you know, super fast. But you know, hey, go fast if you want to. If you mess up, you're down 14 points. You know what Nick likes to do. So all right, guys, we'll repeat. We, uh, we appreciate y'all stopping in, listening to us, taking time, and, uh, you know, roll tide, uh, horns down. Y'all give those Texas fans hell if you're in Tuscaloosa this weekend. Uh, episode 88, Gumprunners Podcast, Chase Thornton, Jeremy Law, Lester Mitchell, we're out. <laughs>